Father, I thank you so much for Adrian, and I, I ask right this moment, Father, that you would bless him. Lord God, would you just fill him with the Holy Spirit right now, Lord God. Every fiber in his being, every cell in his body, Lord God, would you, would you just touch right now. Help him sense your presence, Lord God, as he, as he presents to us the message, Lord God, that you laid on his heart, Lord God. I, I pray that you would give him clarity of thought, Father. Um, I pray, Father God, that even as I was praying for him earlier, Lord Jesus, if there's any nerves, would you calm them, Lord God, but leave enough that he would depend on you. I pray for that. Lord Jesus, I ask that every, um, just everything that comes out of his mouth, that you would bless and anoint, Lord God, as in it lands on our heart, Lord God. Would you, Holy Spirit, bear much fruit. Uh, let his preaching be transformative and, and, and glorifying to you. Uh, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Adrian, God bless you, brother. Hey, Restore family. Hey. Welcome, and a special welcome to, uh, to everyone and uh, anyone that's new here today. Um, my name is Adrian, like we said, and uh, thank you, Ovi, for praying and for, uh, for everything that you have done for, for me and uh, my family. And, uh, and I look up to you a lot as a, as a leader, and, uh, and I pray that we, as a group, as a church plant, um, in the future, continue to uh, spread the love and the joy that we get to experience uh, as a team. Um, I'm so excited about what God is doing in our church plant uh, and here at Restore, and I just want to thank you guys for supporting us and helping us. Um, I'm going to also pray. Uh, we thank you again for praying, but we uh, here at Restore, we like to, uh, we love to drench everything in prayer beginning to end, so uh, if you could buy your hearts and and uh, I'll pray as well. Dear God in heaven, I just want to thank you so much for being here today with us, for giving us breath and life and everything. And, uh, and I ask you that you would come in our midst uh, again and again and to show and reveal yourself and your goodness. Um, there are so many people out there in the world that need your uh, love, your presence, your, the, the experience of your joy. And Jesus, I pray that everyone here as well discovers the great adventure of, of being a Christian, of being a follower of you, of being a disciple uh, of the living God. And, um, I pray that you would open our mind uh, and our hearts um, and we literally are at your mercy, Lord. And so do what you love to do and what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, pull out your Bibles and uh, let's, uh, let's dive right in. Um, today, by God's grace, I'll be talking to you about um, your vitals, checking your vitals. Um, I have here a stethoscope. If anyone's seen one of these before, I'll just put it on right here for now. Um, so I went to the doctor's office recently. I had a physical, and um, they checked different things at the beginning, like vital signs, um, blood pressure, pulse, how fast your heart's beating, um, respiration, how fast you're breathing, blood pressure. Um, these are part of your body's most basic functions. And 
you know, to see if you're alive, if you're okay, if uh, it gives you an indication of your status, where, you're, where you are, how your body is doing. Um, so it's a huge part of the decision-making process, especially in the emergency room and so on. And uh, I wanted to ask you today, have you checked your vitals? But your most important vitals, the real you, I, I can see you today here, but there's a real you, there's, there's a more real you that I can't see because we are spirit and soul. And in some sense, when you die, your experience doesn't just end there. You're, you're eternal in some sense. And, and I want to ask to check those more serious vitals. So what's the condition of the real you? So today we're going to look at three things, if you want to go next. Um, this isn't meant to be completely thorough or anything. We're just, uh, just going to look at a couple things today. Uh, number one, uh, oh, and if you're not a Christian here today, I, I'd also like to especially encourage and challenge you to, to take a deeper look. Maybe these questions have never really been asked or thought through. Um, so number one, Jesus. Number two, the word. And number three, check your heart. So Jesus, the Bible, and your heart. And your heart referring to, uh, like, meaning your emotions, your motivation, your longings, and your desires. So, number one, Jesus. Next. Do you know or do you... Just, just sit and think for a second. Do you love and really love Jesus? And let that, that, that question just sit for a second here. It might be kind of a, a strange question to ask in church. Um, do you really love Jesus? And... The question is so, so vital because in Revelation 2.4, it says, Jesus uh, referring to um, a church in Ephesus, he says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first, or in some translations, your first love. This is Jesus speaking here to the church in Ephesus, and it seems like it's the same church that Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians, and um, Jesus kind of gives them a, a good report card overall, but he's upset about one issue. And, and, and in a sense, it kind of weighs, um, outweighs them. And he says, um, you did all these good things, but I have this issue, that you've abandoned your first love. Have you ever done this to Jesus yourself? Has there ever been a point in your life, husband, wife, where in your marriage you've been in this, this uh, just amazing love, but then the things that maybe you do uh, become more important. You know, you just live together. It becomes more important than who you are, a unit, a family, a team. Another way to ask this question is how... How have you been praying? How have you been talking to God? Have you been asking, hey God, how are you doing today? Um, what's on your mind for me in our relationship? Um, you know how some people like salty food or sweets, I'm like junk food or to work out, you know? How are you 
in knowing God? Do you know what he likes? Do you know what he doesn't like? Um, these things are key, I think, and as you ask the question, you know, what are the vital signs in, in my life? Um, and it's key because the next verse, Matthew 24, 2, Jesus is saying, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. The love of many, not a few, but a lot of people. And some people may ask themselves and answer very quickly, but the challenge that I want to present to you is that Jesus will say to many people one day, I never knew you. People thought that they're good with Jesus, that they're high-fiving, that they're okay buddies, but really Jesus is nowhere on, the, on the, their map in their heart. Um, if you guys have seen the, the Thor and the, the Thor movie number three, um, there's this scene, um, and if you see the trailer, they usually show it as well, where Hulk and Thor are together, and, and Hulk is talking about how he's a raging fire, and Hulk is, I'm, and Thor is just like water or this, this smoldering fire. Um, and that picture for me is so vivid. You want to be like Hulk. You want to be a raging fire, not a, not a smoldering fire that's barely there. You want to be um, not like these people where over time it just cools off. And for me, it's because Jesus is someone who's coming back, who's stronger than the Hulk and Thor combined. He owns the world. He created the world. And he did something so special for you and for me that no one else ever did. He resisted the sin that you and I give into all the time. He did something for you and for me that no one else did. He took the blame when he didn't do it. It's like, it's like you broke the window, but your friend took the blame. Or like, as a parent, your child crashed the car, but, but then you as a parent had to pay for it. Jesus did that for us, but at the highest level. Amen. And that should fuel our just unending amazement and grace, in, in his grace. Number two. Um, so, number one, check your vitals, Jesus. How's your love for Jesus? And number two, the Word. Check your Bible. How much do you love the Bible? Do you check the Bible? Or do you just hear what I'm saying up here and just kind of take my word for it because I'm on a stage or because something's on social media? Have you ever heard the, uh, a similar phrase to like, um, this is the Bible on investing or this is the Bible of cookbooks? That's because the Bible is commonly understood as the highest authority on all matters. It's actually a collection of 66 shorter books. It's uh, written over a period of roughly 2,000 years from 40 different authors on several continents and different parts in different languages. All with the same unified message. And that's amazing and unique, completely unique. There's nothing like that. And that's because... The amazing thing is that there's one author behind all of this, the Holy Spirit. And he intended every word, personally he intended, every letter, every number, every name. Amen. Let me ask you this. Number two, and you, when, you, when you think about it, how, in a physical sense, how are you eating? How are you eating? 
The word of God is compared to uh, many different things, but several times to uh, food, different kinds of food in the Bible. Um, Psalm 119.103, the writer says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I have some honey right here that you can see. This, is, this stuff is amazing, by the way. Um, <laughs> in Psalm 19, again, um, speaking of God's word, the writer says, They are more precious than gold, than much fine gold, and they are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Now, I don't, I don't have gold up here, but I do, I do have some honey. Um, and uh, I'm willing to give this away if anyone wants it. You can just raise your hand. So the first person to raise there, you'll take that? Okay, here you go. There you go. <laughs> okay, so that's why you don't fall asleep in church, because you might get a prize. You never know. So anyway, in the same way that you just love that honey or you just, boom, you want it, or, you know, think of how honey makes you feel, or anything sweet. Think of all the goodies, especially kids, you know. You'll eat that all day and don't care. How, do, how does that make you feel? It awakens your taste buds. It, it makes you want more. Uh, it, it's something to look forward to. It's enjoyable. It's not like oh, I have to eat something sweet. You just, even if you already ate a lot, you'll take some dessert, right? Is that how the Word of God is for you? What is the Word of God for you? To me, it's, it's the love letter that Jesus wrote where he took my blame. I don't know anything sweeter. There's a couple verses that, and I hope that sticks with you. Um, there's a couple verses that I'd like to focus on as we, next slide, yeah, this is it. Um, as we check our Bibles, check our love for the Bible and the Word of God. Acts 17.11, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the Word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They were more honorable, more respectable in some sense. How? It says they received the word. That's the teaching of Paul. He, Paul and Silas went to this area to, to teach, and they learned something new. They were focused. They were interested, it says, with all eagerness. To me, that points to an open mind. But they didn't just believe everything they heard. It says they checked to see if it was right, if it was from God, if it was really from the Bible, if it was true, to see if it was how they said, if it was so. So I challenge you, uh, for them it was the Old Testament at that time, but we, we need to see, don't believe just everything that even I say, even here today. I challenge you to take everything that you hear and be an independent but still open-minded thinker and dive into the word and check to see if it's so, if it's that way. I'd like to show you a couple other uh, cool and interesting examples from the Bible that might spark uh, your interest in, in reading more. In Matthew 2, verse 14 to 15, the wise men visited baby Jesus. Remember that. 
And when they left, Jesus got a dream, uh, Joseph got a dream that Jesus' life was in danger, that Herod wanted to take his life. Verse 14, and he rose, that's Joseph, and took the child and his mother, Mary, by night and departed to Egypt. They ran away and remained there until the death of Herod. Matthew says, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Aha, so it was prophesied. Out of Egypt, I called my son. So Herod dies, they come back from Egypt, and it fulfills a prophecy. Check your Bible. What prophecy? Let's look at Hosea 11.1. 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Israel? That's interesting. If you read Hosea, all of it in this context, I think you'll be challenged to apply this to Jesus. It's hard to see this prophecy referring to Jesus. You have to be very careful when you, when you see these things in the Bible. Very careful. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. This is referring to Israel when they were young in slavery in Egypt, and Moses led them out. But then Matthew takes this prophecy and also applies it to Jesus when he left Egypt and came back after Herod died. So if you only read Hosea, and if you only read Matthew, you might miss the greater meaning of, of this small, short phrase. You might think, maybe that doesn't really apply to me because it's, it's about Israel back then, right? So what's, what's the main point here? I challenge you, what if this is an example of a passage or a prophecy that can apply to more than one thing? Again, don't just believe something that I'm saying. Check for yourself. Look and see it for yourself because we can't make mistakes. But if this is God's intention, why not? And you can continue reading in Matthew in the next uh, passage, uh, in the same passage, and it happens again, this time referring to the, the children that Herod then ends up killing. It's also prophesied, but now in Jeremiah, and it follows a similar pattern. So what's the point? What's the lesson that, that I'm, I'm trying to get across here? I'd like to highlight that sometimes we can box in the Bible. We can try to, and we'd miss the meaning if we're restricting too much, if we're not reading with an open heart and an open mind, and really paying attention and looking for these things. Have you ever read and just kind of glossed over and missed so much? Another quick example is in Numbers 21, the, uh, the bronze snake, okay? So, in summary, Israel was being disobedient and complaining, and the Lord sends snakes to bite them. And some people died. And then Moses, they came to Moses and said, I'm sorry, we're sinning. They recognized what was going on. And God tells Moses, make a snake out of bronze and put it on a pole. And when people look at it, they'll be healed. So Moses made it, and if someone was bitten and they looked at the pole, 
on, and the snake, uh, they were healed. That's Numbers 21. Isn't that weird? It's okay. You can admit that. You know, that's super weird. I'm just <laughs> a lot, There's a lot like that in the Old Testament, uh, even, even in the New. But that's okay. The craziest part is that this isn't explained anywhere in that chapter. This snake on the pole gets uh, to be, it turns kind of into an idol later on, and the people are worshiping, and one of the kings of Israel has to destroy it because it's, it's turned into like this, this thing that they're worshiping. But that's all you hear, the rest of the Testament. Hundreds of years, no one talks about it. You ever read things like this and think, man, it's not significant, it's not important for me, what am I gonna learn from, from the Bible here? Except that Jesus explains it finally to Nicodemus just before the most famous passage in the entire Bible. In John 3, uh, 3 verse 14 and 16, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's comparing now. He's, he's talking about a past event. Who that whoever believes in him may have eternal life, for God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. The serpent is generally a symbol of sin. Think of Adam and Eve in the garden and the snake and Satan. And then in 2 Corinthians, we read that Jesus was made sin for us. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, Meaning, it, the meaning is that the remedy, the healing that the people needed and they were about to die, it was to look at the snake. And that for us is a symbol of Jesus. And the remedy for your life and my life to keep from dying is to look at the cross. So all of a sudden, for me at least, it's so interesting now to go back to the Old Testament to read that passage and to see the snake and sin, it's a symbol for, it's just, the snake is a symbol for Jesus and sin at the same time. He's made, like when you're looking at the cross, you're looking at the sin of you and I as Jesus is dying there. That's the significance of that passage. See, we, we can apply these things as we're reading and looking and making connections that maybe we wouldn't if, if we didn't see these pictures otherwise. So, again, my, my encouragement to you is to not skip over, to not uh, quickly read or gloss over, or if we don't understand something, ignore the, the Bible. So what may seem boring or a section that I can't learn from, there, there's actually a lot we can learn from. Um, and I challenge you, even the, the genealogies, if you want to go to the next slide. Um, maybe you've also just skipped through all the genealogies, all the lists of the names. What could I possibly learn from a list of people's names, you know? <laughs> Luke 3, verse 23, um, and Matthew 1, verse 16, just one aspect. There's a lot. There's a lot you could learn because this is the Bible, this is the Word of God, and I challenge you. But there's just one aspect I'd like to highlight and actually give you a little bit of homework 
to search and, and maybe look for on your own. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli. I'll just pronounce it that way. Son of Heli. But then Matthew, in chapter 1, verse 16, continues and says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. First of all, if you didn't notice that that's something strange, you probably weren't paying attention. So when you read the Bible, pay attention. Look for these things. Don't just skip over it. If you notice this, what does that do to you in your heart and your mind? Does it spark any sort of interest? Like, wait a minute, that looks at first like an apparent contradiction, but there are no contradictions, no real contradictions in the Bible. And there's many things that we'll read that I think are intended by God in this way to catch your attention, to teach you something, to teach me something. So who is the father of Joseph, Heli or Jacob? And I want to challenge you to open your eyes and your mind as you read the Bible to look for things that, that jump out. Um, so Matthew, if you read, you'll notice, goes from Abraham to Jesus in the genealogy. Luke starts earlier, and he goes from Adam to Jesus. And they're the same going up to King David. But you'll notice that, um, let's see who it is. Matthew, so Luke starts earlier and, and goes from Adam to Jesus, um, but they're the same up to King David, but then Matthew goes through Bathsheba's first surviving son, Solomon. But then, I'm sorry, I, I remember, I can't remember. Luke goes through David's second surviving son, Nathan. Okay, I don't have a, a picture here to show it, but they go through the first son and follow the genealogy to all the way to Jesus, but then the other gospel writer goes through the second son and follows the genealogy, and it actually leads to Mary. So Jesus, as you, as you read this, is actually a descendant of David through two lines, one from Joseph and one from Mary. And they list Joseph as Jesus' legal father while Luke is following the line of Mary, which is Jesus' blood parents. So there's no Greek for, for the word, uh, I, I think, son-in-law, um, but Joseph is the son of Heli, by marriage, it's as supposed. That's kind of the, the indication there. So it was understood that Joseph was really Heli's son, but he was, in a sense, through marriage. So Jesus is a descendant of King David through two different lines. Okay, great. Now you know that. You know, if you figured that out on your own or if you knew it already, great. That makes you a nerd and you now know and understand. <laughs> What's the point? See, the point isn't to just read and, like, learn little things and, and figure it out. Maybe at first it might be interesting and, like, okay, that looks off, and then you're excited to figure it out. But don't stop there because that's not the point. The point isn't to just, okay, I, I solved the apparent contradiction. The point is, why is it written like that? Why did the Holy Spirit personally intend to do it that way? And that's my challenge to you. 
to look and to read and to ask why. And we don't have time to go through everything here today, but there's so many life lessons to see the reasons why that was a deviation there, that there's a couple things in the Old Testament that point to Jesus' genealogy. So I hope that leaves a question in your mind to maybe look into this more and be like, why? That's, that's so cool. Now that, now that I understand how it works, why is it written that way? Okay? So we'll, we'll move on, but uh, don't, don't forget this and take this home as homework, okay? Um, what happens when you run into things like this? Do you give up if you don't understand? Remember it and write it down and think about it and pray about it. Maybe God will reveal it to you through another sermon or a song or through something someone says or through something you hear on the radio or something on social media. But you have to be an open-minded and independent thinker through this process. Remember uh, John 5, 39. Um, you search the scriptures. This is Jesus speaking. This is a principle you need to remember as, we're, as you're checking your Bible. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. Jesus says that the scriptures that you search looking for truth, looking for answers for life, it's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And that is the key to understanding. If you run into a passage that you don't understand, connect it to Jesus somehow. Find a connection to Jesus and you'll realize its relevance and its meaning for you in your life right now. Also in John 7, 17, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God. Don't you want to know? And whether I'm speaking on my own authority, meaning I'm just another person speaking, or am I speaking with God's authority, the truth? How do you know if you got the meaning or the true meaning? How do you know if you're right? The Bible says, you know, is it okay to do this or to, to do that? Um, Jesus is pointing here that understanding with your mind what is the truth starts actually with the heart. If you want something, it may be a barrier to your mind of understanding. If you want God's will, that's how you will know if it's true. If you're looking for something else, if you have a hidden agenda, if you, as in your heart, don't really want God's will, there's no telling what you'll come up with when you read the Bible and what, what you'll pull out of there. Okay, and then point number three. Check your heart. So this is, check your vitals, right? Jesus, how much do you love Jesus? Number two, the word of God. Dive in. Always check your Bible and check how much do you love the sweetness, the honey of the Bible. And then number three, check your heart. What happens to your heart when you do number one and number two? The point of number one and number two can lead to, maybe it can lead to a bit of just routine it may feel like it's religious. But the whole point of number one and number two is so that three, your heart changes. That you read the Bible, that you fall in love with Jesus more and more, and that something changes. 
that you don't stay the same, that you're not the same when you walked in here, but that you leave different after hearing the word of God and after your love for Jesus is stirred up. Okay? Um, before, I, I need a volunteer. I need a young person. You can put your hand. I can't pick you. I need a young person who is brave, a, a very young and smart, I can't pick you, I'm sorry. <laughs> a confident young person. Okay, fine, you can come up. <laughs> okay, come on, let's go. There you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, let's move this out of the way. Now, maybe I can't. Okay, stand up right here. What's your name? Okay, you're going to have to say loud because I don't have a mic. Your name's Jesse. Okay, you're going to put on some safety glasses. We're going to do an experiment real quick. Hold these. I have two cups. Okay, are they empty? Yes, they're empty. They have no, nothing. You can show everybody. <laughs> well, you can't see? Okay, good. Um, I'm going to put them in this microwave. Hopefully it works. You can put one of them in we'll have this white one, okay? Now what's gonna happen? Do you know? No? no? Okay, well, it's gonna heat up, right? But before we do that, I'm gonna just put a little bit of water in this one. No big deal, right? So the one with the brown looking geese or whatever, this one has some water in it. Now how long should we put it for? We'll do a minute. Okay. Don't stand in front of the microwave. You might get zapped. No, I'm kidding. How does the microwave work? What's happening? The water is turning hotter. It's turning hotter. Microwaves are changing the um, electric field back and forth like millions of times a second, and the molecules are shaking. They're jittering. They're getting hotter. Okay? So... The cup, there's two cups in here, but I have, actually I have a third one while this is going on. I hope this is working. Okay, I'm gonna put some water right here in this one. This is our third cup. Okay, how are you doing? You gonna embarrass your parents? No? Okay, good. <laughs> All right, um, so let's see here. Which cup is hot? Feel it? This one. This one. It's really hot. Yeah, it's really hot. Really hot. I only put a little bit of water. Why? Why is, what about this cup? It's cold. It's cold. Why is this cold? Because you didn't put it in the microwave. Okay. And then this one's kind of cold too. Well, it's not cold. It's just, it's the same. Right? Do you know what happened? Yep, okay. <laughs> it's not going to melt because it's ceramic, yeah. Okay, thank you. You can give him a hand. You can keep the glasses. You can keep the glasses. They're super cool. Okay. This is just a quick demonstration. I probably could have explained it, but I wanted to show you. Have you ever 
well, don't. Don't do this at home. Don't put an empty cup in a microwave and just turn it on. Um, why is this cup on top unaffected? Maybe simple. Why is this cup hot with water? Pretty simple, common. What about this cup? Why isn't it hot? It was inside. Part of how a microwave works. So what's the connection here? What's the point? You are the cup. You all, we're all a cup. The water is God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus. And the microwaves are the word of God, the teaching. If you don't do number one, if you don't have Jesus in you, this is going to happen. doesn't matter how much you read. doesn't matter how much time you spend in church. doesn't matter how much you sing and pray. If the Lord isn't in you, if you're not connected with him, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to change. You can sit in the microwave of church your whole life. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, 20 to 24. For the word of God, the, the cross, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power, the heat of God. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, so anyone who's called, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. If you don't hear the word of God regularly, if you say you love God, but you're never spending fellowship, you're never in the microwave, what happens? You grow cold. But what happens if all you do is go through the motions that everybody else does religiously? Nothing changes. Nothing happens. You can put this as long as you want. This is who you want to be. So hot you can barely, barely touch it. And as you step away, you turn it off, you start to cool off even in that condition. This is key. Maybe you've never really thought of your heart changing through this process. Maybe you think, okay, I just got to pray, I just got to go through the motions, I just got to read, I just got to be in church, and things will happen. Your heart needs to change, and you need to be aware of that. You need to push that. And this is what needs to happen. There are too many fake Christians. And that's my burden, that's my heart right now for you, is that you're not a pretend Christian. That you're not in the microwave but empty. Or if you are full, that you're in the microwave. That you're in the word of God. That you're doing point number one and two. And check this in your life. Check, because these are vital signs. To think that you're a follower, but you're actually a fake, one day it'll be too late. That will be the most epic sadness. The most awkward, like beyond awkward moment you can ever experience is in that moment. 
Pastor Mike challenged us uh, a few weeks ago to pray 10 minutes a day. I'd like to challenge you to read the Word at least 10 minutes a day if you don't have a, a regular time. Um, and also during your prayer to ignite your love for Jesus. To ask Him, what have you done for me that makes me happy? And go through your blessings. Seek out what he's done for you, and don't be blind to them. I'd like to uh, ask the music team if they want to come up here um, as I wrap up this morning. And we're going to look at one last verse, um, Proverbs 28, 13. Um, actually, if we could all stand um, as, uh, as we take a look at this. Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces finds mercy. Don't be the person that's unchanged. Don't be the person whose heart hears the word of God, who understands, who says that they love God, but then just walks away the same as they were before. What is the change? What is that change that I'm talking about? What is the heat of, of this cup? It's what it says here, repentance, finding a new path. Prospering and finding mercy are connected here. The greatest success, it's not in money, in power, in influencing people, the greatest success, the greatest prosperity is living and not dying in your sin. It's becoming more and more like Christ so that one day you're with him. That's the greatest prosperity, finding mercy. So do you hide your sin? Because you're afraid someone might find out? Are you ashamed? We're at a place where we restore through the relationship with Jesus Christ and through a relationship through each other and our friendship and our families and our love. We're here to restore. Let's restore each other and restore our love for God, our love for the Bible, and a changed heart. We're going to sing in a minute and uh, we're going we're gonna to take some time to pray. Um, if you want to pray right where you are, you can, silently. You can pray out loud as they're singing. Um, there should be a, a prayer team, I think, up here somewhere. If you want to pray with someone, talk to them. Uh, hear them pray for you. That can be very encouraging. Take these steps and respond. You heard, now respond. And that's through prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for speaking to us and your word. Um, I pray that we're not this empty cup that just believes every wave out there that uh, is unchanged by the truth of the God and just remains cold. But I pray that the word of God would change us and that we would have Jesus Christ in us. And if there's anyone here today, God, that has been just standing next to, that hasn't really been studying or listening or doesn't see the value, the excitement, the, the newness, the freshness that's in the word of God, I pray that you would do a miracle and, 
and bring us closer to you and change us as we follow you. Amen.